0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast and got a great guest lined up for today. We're going to be talking about liberty, going to be talking about food. Uh, It's going to be a little bit different for today, so get excited about it. I will introduce my guest in just a moment. Before I do that, I just want to remind you all, speaking of food, delicious food, I want to remind you all about masa chips. If you haven't tried masa chips yet, why haven't you? I don't know. They're delicious. They are good for you. And uh, yeah, they don't have any seed oil. So most tortilla chips, either the regular kind, you know, they're fried in whatever different kind of seed oil, be it uh, mostly canola, probably, sometimes sunflower, Um so most tor- tortilla chips, the bad ones, you know, normally they taste good, right? But most so-called healthy ones um, either are not healthy and do contain seed oils or they taste like cardboard. Well, what masa Chips has done is they've created a tortilla chip that is both healthy and tastes incredible. It is fried in grass-fed beef tallow, a little bit of queso on that chip, and it'll make all of your dreams come true. I promise you that. You can buy masa Chips by going to masachips.com and using promo code LIONS for 10% off. We've had a lot of great feedback. A lot of the audience out there is going and taking advantage of this deal. So don't pass it up. Um, one more thing I will say is today's episode once again we have a bonus segment with uh, with the interview. So be sure to join the pride patreon.com slash lions of liberty or at locals, lionsofliberty.locals.com to hear the bonus. And without any further delay, let's get to today's show. Okay, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride. I'm joined here today by Dan Reed. He's the host Have a podcast called Eating Liberty. Uh, It used to be called The Culinary Libertarian. As you can tell by the the names here, Um, he's into cooking, he's into politics, liberty, nutrition, and we'll talk about all of the above. Um, Dan Reed, welcome to Finding Freedom. Well, thank you for having me on. Good to have you here, um, and uh, thank you for having me on your show. That was two or three weeks ago. I can never remember time how it works; it seems to just just fly by. But uh, we had a good discussion. Really, uh, really enjoyed that. So, wanted to have you on my show to uh, learn a little bit more about you and uh, your backstory, your background, um, both both in cooking and in and in liberty. So, um, since I don't have many. You know, guests on here who really one of their, you know, passions or expertise is food, then I think we should start there because it's, it's okay. a unique thing. So let's, let's start with food. How did you get into the culinary world? How did you get into cooking? The, the tragic answer is I thought it
1: was a fairly easy profession to do. And so, you know, 17 year old kid. I was moderately competent with just like handyman stuff. I thought, well, cooking, that seems like it shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> 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 well, <clears throat> that that is a – it's difficult to explain how much of an understatement that was. So I thought, well, let's give this a shot. So the, the, the first thing I remember trying to make at home that was actually kind of like a French recipe – was uh, it's, a, it's a it's a dough called pate choux, which is used for eclairs and um, for for, for um, profiteroles, and you can actually even make donuts out of it. You can make gnocchi out of it, but it it isn't it isn't simple. It isn't. It it is kind of an advanced pastry because things happen, and if the uh, if 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 the cook isn't informed well about what to expect along each step, it's easy to think you made a mistake. Well, I was reading Julia Child, who is no slouch, but didn't really provide lots of detail. And since I've never made anything like that before, I had no way to generalize this is perfectly fine. So I felt it didn't work. I threw it away and found out your that was exactly what was supposed to be happening. So, an inauspicious beginning to being a cook of any kind. Um, mm-hmm. So, in Michigan, which is where I'm from, uh, in in the Metro Detroit area, there was a there was two. But I went to Oakland Community, Community College for culinary arts. I thought, well, you know, let's go to school. Why not? That seems to be the smart thing to do. Um, and and true to Oscar Wilde, nineteen year old male tradition. You want know, I knew everything in the West to know in the whole world and to prove it just ask me and I'll tell you. So mm-hmm. I quit school to work in the restaurant, which is probably what should have happened in the first place. Um, I, I think I actually wrote a book about 50 questions to ask a chef and even through cooking for 20 or 30 years. I'm not certain. High, formal higher education is necessary for cooking, and there's a lot of good things to get out of school. Don't give, don't misunderstand me, mm-hmm. but um, I don't think the 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 sheepskin at the end of the journey doesn't mean you're a chef. What you've yeah. maybe gotten from the science-based classes, uh, and and the, and the thing that the school gives you is room to fail. Where on the job. Room to fail is going to cost somebody cash. Room to fail at school right. is designed to make mistakes so you perfect your skill or at least acquire a skill. So, uh, but anyway, so went from went from going to school to working in a job and then just sort of followed followed my nose of interest and what sounded interesting and and ended up having a pretty impressive career following what seemed to be a good thing to do and when finding people to work with. So,
0: so let let me ask you a question here. So you said that you, you got started in cooking because you thought it would be, it would be relatively easy. Um, Obviously somewhere along the way um, it became apparent that it's not easy. So what, what kept you going? Um, You know, what, what made you fall in love with, with cooking?
1: It's a spectacular question, and and the answer took me. Well, there, there's a couple of aspects to the answer. One of those is a one of the answers is a Midwest stick to itness, where you just keep going. And part of that also was that it was a source of income, and they needed a source of income, and the one I had was better than the one that I didn't have because that meant I had to not have one and maybe not get the other one. So right. there was some practicality in at least having a job. There's the the thing that took me a long time to figure out was the, what appeals to me the most about cooking was It's crazy to say because there's no glory in it. There's no, there's no, wow, look what you did. But the prep, the or, the organizing, so making your prep list every day, coming in, looking at the line, what's, what's missing, what's bad, what do I need to replace, what do I need to invent, what do I need to make, what's the specials. Building a system and a structure for what prep for the day is going to look like is a really very satisfying thing, especially when you get it done on time for service. And all of the all the little hotel pans uh, are filled on the line. You're ready to go. Everything's stocked up. You got all your proteins. You got all your veggies. Like, yeah, we're ready to go. It's gonna be a great service. Putting the food on the plate, it's like whatever, that's fine. That's but that's, and some people enjoy that a great deal and, and it's nice to mm-hmm. see a well-made plate but it's it's production work it's piece work it's just you know it's texas instruments building calculators the the, the skill part the skill in cooking but the the organizing your time getting everything done getting everything done well uh and on mm-hmm. time ready for service there's There's a level of satisfaction in doing the base prep stuff and having it ready. And it turned into having the meats and the fish cut. Uh, I, I, I don't know why, but I absolutely adore butchering fish. It's a thrill to do. And part of it is... There's a skill to it, so having the skill and being
0: good at it. There's absolutely a skill to it. Yeah, (laughs) I've I've tried to butcher fish, but I mean, it's I'm I'm decent at it, but I'm sure I'm sure you're a hundred times better. But absolutely, skill involved.
1: It's fun, and so when you have this is, you know, I don't anything about wood carving, but I would imagine that for people who carve wood, there's some because there's a knife involved. There's some 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 related sense of satisfaction, but Getting uh, snappers with the funnest. Black, you no know, you know, colloquially in the Gulf of Mexico in, in the Panhandle of Florida, you get black snapper. They're called something else, and people insisted that doesn't exist. But so, and maybe a two-pound snapper, nice sharp knife, and one time down the back, all the way to the spine, and you get. Now, if you've never cut fish, this doesn't make any sense. But when you we get a really Fresh fish and get that fillet off the frame. Tilefish was the best for this, but the light hits it, and there's a translucence rainbow mm. effect to that superb f- flesh of just—and that sounds kind of gross—but just that clean cut of a fish. It's like wow! Ah, mm-hmm. It's just—it's like wow! I want to do that again, and and there's yeah. just there's a zenness. Mm-hmm. To cutting fish, that isn't the same with cutting meat. Now, cutting meat is rewarding, but there's there's something about cutting fish that just <laughs> I don't. It's a it's it's just it's a it's a happy place.
0: Yeah, that 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 is interesting. I wonder if it has anything to do. I mean, maybe I'm way off here, but obviously, cutting meat. You know, we're dealing. With, you're, you're dealing with other other mammals, right? You're, you're dealing with. Uh, animals that are that are on this earth it, fish are almost like like aliens they're they're different totally different creatures <laughs> like um so maybe there's an aspect of that to it i don't know maybe <laughs> i don't know I just, um, yeah go ahead
1: well it's just that kind of so most cooks either do cooking there are hotline cooks and prep or people in the kitchen will do baking and or pastry. It's, it's, it's fairly rare for cooks to venture into the bake shop to do anything more than try to steal a cookie. Um, but so I went from, from baking to doing breads and then into pastries and there's, there's a similar kind of, it's, it's, It's kind of different, but similar in in this appreciation of what's going on. So the fish, you're taking the fish apart and bread, you're creating a thing. Um, And Mm -hmm. depending on just how far down the creation rabbit hole you want to go, in some sense you're creating life because you're taking this dry yeast or in the case of a sourdough, you're taking yeast that lives in the Mm -hmm. air and you're using that yeast's life to make this thing – called the loaf of bread. It's, it's it's a remarkable thing to watch, but it's a fascinating process and there's a lot to know about what's going on and time and temperature and all these things, but when it's done and you take it out of the oven, it's like, wow. And then there's, and, and maybe people know this part because they've seen enough TV shows and baking shows. When you When you get, sandwich bread doesn't really do this. That artisanal baked on the stone bread mm-hmm. either a boule or a baguette when you take it out of the oven and it goes from that drastic change of 500 degrees to 80 degrees, whatever your room temperature is, in, a, in short order, the crust will start to crack mm-hmm. it's going to do that and that's you 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 come to look forward, that's your reinforcement for a job well done and so I had some young cooks at, my, at one of my jobs and uh, and I said, "So this, this is this is baker thinking. When the bread starts to crack after you take it out of the oven, that's the bread saying to you, the baker, I love you too,' because it means that you have done the job well. You have made the bread as it is intended to be, and you're being thanked for creating this thing by giving those cracks." Now that's a feature of physics and science and it isn't really about talking to you but bakers are a little <laughs> they're, they're uh i don't know what the word is but they're they're a little bit more in tune with what it is that they're making because they spent a lot of time with their hands in the dough forming this
0: thing yeah I was gonna say bakers don't get out much. So, you know, the bread's the bread's talking to them. But
1: no, they don't get out much. And <laughs> bakers and chefs, um, uh, 80 I, hour a week is is just another ish, just another week.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's not, not, not very easy, is it? <laughs> when it comes comes down to it. But I, I think I think there is kind of an element of freedom to what you're talking about with being able to butcher a fish, and you're talking about really creating a meal. You're able to, to take a fish that comes, you know, that's caught out of the water, butcher it and turn it into food and serve it to someone else. You're able to gather the ingredients and bring them together to to bake a loaf of bread that you're able to feed yourself, your family or or other people with. And I think there's absolutely an element of self-ownership to that, that you by by having those skills, by being able to execute those skills in a manner that you're able to feed other people and they're happy with it. I think there is some freedom in being able to do that, which I think unfortunately is becoming less and less common over time as so many people get into this um, eating processed foods, eating things out of boxes and bags, and you know not going through the steps of gathering ingredients and cooking an actual meal. So- Do you have any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah. I just had a a recorded an interview yesterday for my show with a couple of ladies who um, founded a company that sells collagen. And so we were talking a little bit about the standard American diet. And, And those of us who grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, that's what we knew. And, You know, it was, maybe it wasn't Wonder Bread. It was Roman meal, bologna or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but it was this processed bread sandwich and everything was processed. And that's just how life went. And so nowadays I, maybe my, myopic view is incorrect about what's really going on, but I see a lot of homesteaders on Instagram and on my Twitter and and Facebook feeds, probably because I'm looking for them. Now, maybe they aren't as plentiful as it would appear, but it seems to me that more and more people are at least aware of getting back to sort of our grandparents' fundamentals, um, be it call, call it a thing, call it paleo, Uh, Atkins isn't really that, but this ancestral kind of eating, I think, is increasing. At what rate? I have no idea. So there's an awareness that eating better food, eating nutrient dense, wholesome food,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is a good choice. And that is challenged immediately by. Holy crap! Gas is four dollars a gallon. Holy crap! This steak is expensive as hell. I have four kids yeah. at home to feed. They need they need nine meals in the next three days, and this box of stuff, even if it's full of poisons, mm-hmm. in the long term, in 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 so with, you know as libertarians you know time preference, the high time preference is. I got to feed my kids. They need something to eat, and I have hundred dollars to feed four kids for three days. You know what gets missed, left out, is the yeah. the nutrient dense, farm raised, grass finished, raw milk, all, all the stuff that's good for you to eat. Isn't purchased because you can't necessarily stretch that out. Now, some people could, and this comes a whole other problem of. Through the course of getting processed foods and in, uh, in microwaveable you know seven second dinners people have lost the ability to to cook and the inability to cook has killed the curiosity to learn how to cook because why should I learn to cook when all I have to do is go to the freezer pull out a hot pockets and then beep it's done yeah.
0: Or call so, up Uber Eats. You make a phone call. It shows up or, at your door in twenty or minutes.
1: Uber yeah. Eats or DoorDash or there's a few other ones. Yeah, there's there's. So, it's it's sort of an easy problem to identify and say, well, this is an issue. Yes, it is an issue, but saying here's a solution. Well, I. This this is part of the problem in the world of politics. Is two parties have. Two solutions. You mm-hmm. have the R solution or the D solution, and they're actually going to end up being the same thing. Well, how can that be? Because, <laughs> Well, so how, how it's going to be in the government level is R and D play for the same team, and that team is against you. You're not on mm-hmm. the team. So whatever they do to you, they're doing to you. They're, they're going to take your taxation and fix the problem that they probably created. So – finding the solution to a simply a simple-to-identify problem is extraordinarily complex. And the answer will never come at the ballot box or voting in the right guy. Guess mm-hmm. what? The right guy doesn't exist. There is no such thing. The right guy is the guy who's not going to the ballot box, who's choosing anarchy over politics. But now we have another problem.
0: Yeah. So I, I would say the, the right guy to fix... You know when we talk about the individual or the family the right guy to fix those problems that that family or that in, individual is is going through is the person in the family is, yes. is the family itself is the is you know the the parents or the, the husband and wife or whoever you know, whoever is in the family um, that's who's you know accountable to really fix the problems and of course you know government doesn't make life easy on us but um, ultimately, it is what it is, and we have to navigate and find our own solutions. So I, I love having other podcast guests on like you because you kind of do your own transitions. And we've transitioned <laughs> here, if you noticed, into politics. Uh so I want to ask you about, you know, your your origin story, your your liberty, your libertarian origin story. So so how did you um, you know, what what school of thought did you come from? Did you come from more on the on the left or more on the right, more progressive or or more conservative? And how'd you find Liberty?
1: How long is this show?
0: Um, (laughs) We got time.
1: (laughs) I started noticing politics at all in high school. And that might be kind of the time for pretty much anybody to do that. Uh, When I was in 10th grade, Ronald Reagan was shot and I don't think anybody alive missed that piece of news. Um, So that was going on. And um, so the the hostages had been released a couple of years before. Uh, Reagan is shot. So everyone knows about Reagan and Republican. Um, He was a spectacular, I mean, he was a really good theater at the debates. Um, So that was kind of fun to watch. And my stepfather was a realtor. So trying to sell houses in the early 80s was a challenge. It was very Mm -hmm. difficult to do. Um, So, you know, the Volcker rates of, what, 20, at some point, I think they were up to 21, 22% prime lending rate, which (laughs) is like, it's a lot. So lots of things weren't happening in the economy, including not selling houses. Um, So, because that was the exposure I had and Reagan was going, Reagan he was the one guy. He was going to fix everything. That was kind of the environment I grew up in. So I guess we're Republicans and don't really know what that meant. And I was too young to really know what it meant about Carter was excited about Ford because he was a Michigander. Well, That's a good reason to be excited about Ford if you're in Michigan, but everything after that's probably forgettable. Um, so then, I graduated, went to school, and ended up in the kitchen. And for this particular line cook, politics wasn't relevant. I, I had, <laughs> I had buckets of prep to do. I had lots of things to get done. And whoever was mm-hmm. in the White House made no difference because people are coming in the door, and your station is not set up. So that didn't matter. Uh, it was some years later, and it and, and all gets kind of a blur I was probably in my late 40s, and I and I don't know the series of events. But I was listening to a variety of of uh, right wing uh, talk show hosts. I had found Rush a few years before and gave up on Rush. I found Hannity, gave up on Hannity. Found Levin, gave up on Levin. Uh, Glenn Beck for a little bit, Uh, and then. I kept the, the economics kept coming up and, and that kept going. Even once in a while and Glenn really was talking about that the most. So I went to mm-hmm. YouTube and I found this short little guy named Milton Friedman talking to Phil Donahue about greed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Damn. So the guy nailed it. I never, heard, I never even considered this thought before. This is impressive. So, The hows, I don't know what came next, but Milton Friedman led into Tom Woods, which led into, uh, I've read a little bit of, uh, I've read Rothbard, a little bit of Mises, a little bit of Hoppe. Uh, You sort of go down this rabbit hole. You just sort of, (laughs) it's unavoidable, actually. You sort of just trip and fall into it. It's like Alice. And you're exposed to whole, other kind of thinking, which is, I guess, a kindness to Republicans and and Democrats to suggest that they actually do thinking at all. Um, I'm not convinced that they do thinking. I'm pretty convinced that they are just an endless array of knee-jerk responses to the last thing someone said. Um, Mm -hmm. Intellect isn't required to be a Republican or a Democrat. Um, Some would say the same about libertarians, but at least you've got people, current people, uh, I think Larry Sharp is fairly. Is is, I make a pun on his name. I think Larry's pretty sharp. I think Larry gets some concepts that miss people, and he makes them fairly easy to understand. I think Spike. I like Spike. I don't know Spike. I haven't talked to Spike. Mm-hmm. I've even tweeted to Spike, but he he has an impressive ability to take complex ideas and make them. Are uh, to articulate them in a way that makes sense and you understand and does that all in 30 seconds to say, like, now that's, that's a skill. Yeah. No, I,
0: that's, I, I that's think so- just, as you say, just to interject there, both with Larry and Spike and I've, I've met both of them and interviewed both of them. Um And yeah, I mean, I think from a principled standpoint, they're both, principled libertarians it, it, and there's it, obviously there's areas I, I, I disagree with each of them on um, of course, with any libertarians going to be disagreements. <laughs> but I think the thing that stands out the most is they are very personable people and they're very authentic. And you can tell that in, uh, in talking with them. And I think that comes across in their, in their videos and in their podcasts um, which I think some of the times with libertarians, we don't come across that way. We come across as a little bit, a little bit unhinged and argumentative. And um, with with Larry and Spike, I I think there's, you know, people can tell that, you know, when they're offering up a solution that they actually care about the people that that they're talking to. So I think, I think that's important, but sorry to interrupt. Just wanted to reject that.
1: I think you're right. And there's, there's an, there's a, there's an unkind word to describe what some of those libertarians you're talking about. Um, I think that, I think that's the, the group they call the autistic libertarians who just, <laughs> who, who live in this almost ideological theoretical concept of what it should be. And I suppose as a place to begin that's, it's not a bad place to begin but the inflexibility of recognizing that the the same principle applies there is no one solution for everybody whether it's a libertarian mm-hmm. nap solution mm-hmm. or a Democratic Republican solution it's and it, it doesn't work and and to to say that because I'm not Republican I'm not Democrat therefore my idea will fit everybody seems to miss the basic point you just made. (laughs) Wait a minute, guy, this isn't, no, this doesn't work that way. So, Mm -hmm. and and that's, that might be the libertarian who gets the most attention because it's the most polarizing. Things that make sense or sound reasonable seem to be overlooked and ignored.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think I think you're right there. Um, g- getting attention, I think you have to be polarizing. I mean look at Donald Trump. There's, there's nobody who gets more attention than him and he's easily the most polarizing person in this country. Um, but, well, but I think you can yourself of the country <laughs> in, the wor- in the world, in the you universe and I, the- I just I thought you know
1: except for Gene Simmons, I think Trump's probably the second most
0: recognized face on the planet. That's probably true. That's kind of crazy to think about, but that's. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure Elon Musk is getting up there as well. His reach in, is getting. Pretty, in name, pretty, yes. Face, uh, probably big.
1: not. I think. I do think yeah. Gene Simmons. I don't think there's a place you can go on the planet. No, that might not be true. Some some bush in the middle somewhere, <laughs> but I think virtually every single person on the planet, yeah. if you show a picture of Gene Simmons, oh yeah. And they would, you know, do the the sign and stick out the tongue because everybody knows who he <laughs> is. It's that's fairly impressive, yeah. but that's not that's another show.
0: No, that that is impressive. I think, yeah, I think kind of to go back to what I was saying. The ability to get attention is important, you know, no matter what you're trying to do. You're trying to convince someone to uh, persuade someone to, to your opinion, to your way of thinking, to to sell something, um, or to win them over to your, you know, your. Uh, your, uh, your, your ideas, you know, the ideas of liberty. And, you know, if we look at Ron Paul, when Ron Paul ran, especially in in 2008, but also in 2012, but really when things started to ramp up in 2007, and this movement started to grow behind him, um, it was some pretty radical ideas at the time talking about ending the Federal Reserve talking about bringing all of the troops home. I mean, these were things that were very, divisive these were things that if you mentioned them on cable news the you know the host would gasp and you mentioned it during a debate and the, the people he would get booed at, at debates for uh for saying stuff like that so i think you need an element of that in order to to gain attention um but just being you know just trying to be divisive or just trying to cause a scene to cause a scene which i think you know, some libertarians do with, uh, you know, they call it on Twitter, call it shit posting or whatever. Um, I, I think that can, that can kind of, um, have the, the opposite effect. It can make you look like a joke if you do it in the wrong way. Um, but so just to, um, kind of next question, talking about the ideas of Liberty, talking about politics, where do you fall with sort of strategy for influencing, um, the political landscape with the ideas of liberty um you know are you someone who's in favor of using the libertarian party as a vehicle um either locally or or locally and you know trying to run federal and state candidates to influence the discussion or um are you someone who wants to influence things more outside of the uh of the political spectrum which i think you're you're kind of doing in a way with your with your podcast eating liberty but right what are your thoughts on that
1: I, for the last, my sense of time on these things is is bad, but I'd say for the last six to eight months, I I feel like I'm moving out of the identification of libertarian and more toward anarchist. Mm. And I'm, sorry, sounds terrible. There's. One of the principal problems, I think it's a problem, is that a, a libertarian approach to government is still going to end up depending on governance through that thing Luther Martin called the dreaded document. Maybe it was Samuel Bryan. And as long as the thing written by lawyers for lawyers is called the law of the land. There's really not very much anybody in any, certainly federal office is going to be able to do change that. And I'm going to get a, well, I don't know. I've, I've posted some what I've thought were fairly uh, challenging posts and comments and ideas on social media and get nothing. Not a single response, so that's kind mm-hmm. of weird to me, and who knows why that is, and I don't know. But there's there's not very much anybody can do with the handcuffs of the Constitution. And so there's a Spooner argument to be made that, well, see, if it did what it's supposed to do, we wouldn't be in this position. Um, but the converse of that, maybe it's doing exactly what it was written to do. Um, and if you go back and, and read the things that they don't want you to read, which were the letters letters between Madison and Jefferson, and it was a John Jay who said the people who own the government should run the government. Well, <laughs> it's it's hard. that's a pretty big indictment about the mindset. The indictment is mm-hmm. Boy, that's funny, given the timing of today. That's hilarious. I didn't even mean to do that. That's really <laughs> I'm genius. Um, that says a lot about what was intended. And if you go back and read Madison's words, the states were to be um, useful, subordinately useful. They didn't want mm-hmm. this, they didn't give a crap about this. They, F you and your liberties and your rights. They, they didn't, that wasn't the purpose. The whole purpose of the dreaded document was to get Robert Morris out of pr- trouble because he embezzled $30 million in gold from France. So. I struggle with this idea that we can find the right person to fix the problems when <laughs> they're working in the system that is the problem. So that, right? I, I, so that that's that's where I find the challenge, and so I I end up being it ends up being fairly good peace of mind is to be completely divorced of all that stuff because i recognize to me it's all r and d and l are all fighting on the same team they want just to be the people in charge but they're not in charge they're just the people administering under the constitution well that's that's not helping so yeah it's not a particularly helpful answer to your question but that's kind of where i've ended up
0: Yeah. Well, um, when I was on your show, we talked a little bit about, you know, optimism versus pessimism, Um, you know, white pill, black pill. And for those who don't who don't know, um, when we talk, you know, red pill is, you know, from the matrix. That's, you know, understanding, you know, what's going on behind the curtain. You know, uh, blue pill would be just buying into what the government's doing and they look out for our best interests. White pill is having a uh, you know a positive outlook on the world, and black pill is having a, a pessimistic outlook on uh, things to come. So w- where do you fall? Are you more of a, when you look towards the future, are you more white-pilled or, or black-pilled? It's a
1: good question. I don't actually have a good answer. My initial thought is black-pilled, but I'm not sure that that's right. And
0: Well, I I think and tell me this like my my experience lately when when I talk to people on Twitter um, and to a lesser degree on Facebook I kind of really don't I don't engage too much politically on on Facebook just because it's just a different environment but on Twitter things can go things can go pretty pretty crazy pretty pretty quickly and when I I can get pretty pretty blackpilled pretty negative in some of these conversations that that happen on Twitter but when I look at like my actual life you know, if I'm going out and, for example, if I'm coaching my daughter's softball team and, you know, talking to parents there, talking to other coaches, interacting with people in the community, you know, you kind of remember, oh, wait a minute, there are normal people out here and maybe we don't agree on everything. And I'm sure if we, you know, started having some of these Twitter conversations in real life, um, maybe I would disagree with them. But those conversations don't happen. And you kind of remember that people are just trying to Get by. People are trying to provide for their families. People are trying to do the best they can, and that's still happening. So when I see that, I, I kind of remember. I kind of have more of a positive outlook on life because not everyone is is against you know you or or, or me right. or you know the people have a, you know freedom a freedom outlook.
1: Well, I think the you know that's that's a very valuable point. And my my daughter's class, they just did. The whole, the whole grade, all the different teachers of the same grade did this um, project. They had to pick a state and then make a uh, diorama of that state and something or some things that mm-hmm. are sort of indicative of the state and then have a little blurb about it. So she picked West Virginia because she likes the story of uh, John Henry. So she did that, and she it's like – she conceived of a very impressive thing and did a lot of it by herself. And the paper and shade, the painting, mm-hmm. like wow, she really put a lot into this. And so she had, she had a, a note card of two sides of a little factoids of things to say. And some of the, a lot of the other kids, uh, some of them did also very wow. This is really impressive. You put a lot of energy, thought, and time in this. And some people had a piece of paper. And well, all right, thanks for playing, but. Yeah. But I knew some of the kids because they were on my daughter's sports team. So I wouldn't ask them what you do, and this is they tell me. And I, I think so. All that is to say, I think the answer to "Are you black-pilled or white-pilled is that I'm both at the same time, yeah. depending on. So, so seeing these kids in the gym, having done their little parade of march with their stuff, um, whether or not they, whether or not that piece of paper was the best that they can do, I'd. I don't care. I'm not the one giving the grade. It's not my problem. But they were so the ones who worked hard were really proud of the work. And as far as I know, this is this is the world. I'm making this thing for this class. And the parents were proud of them. And everyone, so everything's good in the world in that gymnasium and that school on that day. Now mm-hmm. somewhere else, something bad's going on in the world. I think you I think it's possible to be optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. Probably not about the same things, though. And you yeah. know, I was—I—I I, I know a small handful of people who I who got COVID. I know nobody who died from COVID or COVID or COVID-related disease (CRD). We got to think of something like ARC. I don't know. Now this doesn't mean it isn't happening, but I don't know anybody who has adverse effects from the jab. I know plenty of people who got the jab. I know plenty of people who got more than one of the jabs. Um, all of the bad things that are supposed to be happening because of the jabs, I don't see it. Now, I'm not stupid enough to say that doesn't mean it isn't happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm I sort of think, well, hang on a minute. So all of the all the horribleness of COVID. I know a few people lost their sense of smell for a little while and then that's it. So I, we're wanted to by by those who, <laughs> by those who own the world, um, we wanted to believe a particular set of thoughts and particular things happening. Oh, no, oh, hang on. We're going to change that. No, now we're moving over to this now. Everybody, it's like that camera, the family reunion, everybody take two steps to the left and it, because it isn't proof that isn't there, but I sort of have to ask myself if if the things they tell me are going on, both for the negative and the positive, are completely outside of my line of view. Now, admittedly, I don't go to very many places, so that could be part Mm -hmm. of it. But I I have to become skeptical about what it is I'm being told is actually happening in the world. And – when I become skeptical about those things, I have to distrust the sources of information and we sort of, you follow the chain far enough, you know where that goes. And so my, my, my pessimism comes from my complete lack of faith and trust that the information we're being given through the approved um, sources mm-hmm. has any validity whatsoever. And, so when you go to the dreaded alternative sites and there are thousands of them probably I haven't counted but there's a lot of them and some of them are really 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 good um, yeah. and they have solid reputations and when you go to that site or those sites and you see that the infami- that they all have completely different information than all the other approved sites well I think the reasonable person has to stop and say what's going on here. Something, something doesn't add up. If everybody outside of the outside of the cool club disagrees with what the cool club says, then, then something isn't right. And like, and I think you have to be skeptical and it sort of creates this black pill moment where it's overwhelming. If everything you're being told is a lie, holy crap. That's a lot.
0: Yeah, that that, that that is a lot. Because yeah, why are we being lied to so much? Why is why are those, all these different things being forced down our throat? I mean, a, a good example, uh, kind of what you're talking about recently was, um, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war. There was that dam that was that was blown up, which flooded a lot of the areas, and immediately you have from every um, you know so-called official news source saying that Russia is responsible for blowing up this dam. But when you start looking into like the actual consequences behind it, um, and maybe Russia did do it. I have no idea. I don't know who did it. You know, maybe it was neither Russia or Ukraine. Maybe the U S did it. Who the heck knows? Um, But it actually really hurt Russia and, you know, the Russian territory in Crimea, which, you know, gets 95 or 85% of their water. Uh, via via that dam, which, you know, it's not going to be going there anymore. And the, Russia has a, a nuke plant, which they um, have occupied and are operating, which is upstream from the plant, which is now in, in danger. Um, so there's a lot of things that just don't make any sense. And I, I it's just so obvious when you when you see. Um, it's been communicated that this is going to be whatever what we need to say. This is like, I I don't know how they communicate on the back channels between these news stations, but when they have a solid message um, where everyone is on the same page immediately saying the same thing, doing the same dance, it's it's remarkable to see. But the more remarkable thing is how so many people just eat it up. And that's the scary part to me. Um, The scary part to me when we went from – you know, people having you know, masks in their um, in their little Twitter profile or in, the, in their Facebook picture with their mask on, ma- mask up, to like the next day, it changed to a Ukraine flag when Russia invaded. And it was like, this is what we're talking about, about now. This is the new important thing we need to get behind. And it's like, whoa, whoa, let's just, let's hold on a minute here. We don't know what's happening. Not, I mean- Let's not pick sides yet, or we don't even even need to pick
1: sides. (laughs) So I saw, Uh, yeah, I saw Greta posted something that she demanded Russia pay for the eco. I I can't remember. I feel like she coined a word, eco, eco terrorism, or eco warfare, or something like that. And it seems pretty safe bet that if Greta's for it, probably ought to be against it.
0: Yeah, and it's probably not true if Greta's for it. Yeah, because someone's someone's telling her, telling her to say that she's being directed to do that,
1: or someone just took control of her account entirely. Yeah, um, yeah. There's it, the 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 narrative is a funny thing because I follow I only follow a few senators because it, it's it's too much stupidity. I can't take many more of them. But I follow the two in Oregon, um, Lizzie and Bernie, and and that might be no, maybe one other one. But whenever something really important happens, when there's something really amazing, low-hanging fruit that's gotta get out to the, the masses, within minutes, all of them have nearly identical language in their tweets. Like mm-hmm. it's and the disrespect that they don't even consider that somebody else might be following you and that all and that maybe all 50 of them tweet the exact same thing. That that doesn't occur to them that we're too stupid to or we're smart enough to recognize that, mm-hmm. that's that's irksome. Like really, you you <laughs> so so who's so, so you asked the question, who's controlling that narrative? Who's telling these senators to yeah. this is this is what our message is today? So, you know, the 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 elite, the one hundred, the one. I don't even know what the ratio is. The point zero 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 one percent of the people leading the country are being managed by somebody, and this is what we're tweeting today.
0: Yeah, well, bl- black BlackRock and Vanguard is what a lot of people go to. You know, talking about ESG and you know, why you, you, know, you need to go higher. Yeah, so who who's control who's controlling them? That's you want the answer. That's the question. Sure. Yeah. Rothschild. Rothschild. Vatican.
1: Probably Buckingham yeah. Palace. Find your trillionaires. You,
0: th- you think Buckingham Palace has that much influence?
1: Find your trillionaires, and that's who's running the world. Yeah.
0: Certainly, certainly would make sense for sure. Uh, Dan, we're going to do a uh, a quick bonus here in a minute, but before we yeah. jump to that, um, I want you to give give your plugs for your oh. your podcast. If you want to plug social media, um, anything you want people to uh, to go to.
1: Well, the easy thing is to go to com slash podcasts. That is the uh, all of the shows on the page there. And you were, I think, three episodes ago. I looked it up and uh, May 29th was the day that our episode dropped. It was episode 243. Um, so that was uh, two episodes ago from three episodes ago i'm I, I can't i can't i went to american school i can't add one plus two um uh and then all the other stuff is there so if if politics isn't of interest to you but you like cooking there's a lot of recipes on the page there's it's just it's <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little sloppy but it's all there um social media handles there if that's what you're interested in um i'm not going to plug them here because that's too much. So, so uh, culinary dot slash podcasts. The S is important at the end, and and that's how you find my shows and my webpage.
0: And uh, f- for those that are listening, and you're not members of the Pride, so you're going to miss the bonus show. Quick sales pitch: We're going to talk a little bit more about cooking, and I'm going to ask Dan some of the questions that he asked me when <laughs> I was on uh, on his show. Um, if you, for example, one of them, if you could cook a meal for anyone. Who would it be? So if you want to hear those questions and hear a little bit more cooking or just a little bit more, you know, kind of relaxed, you know, loosening the tie, talking into to, uh, to Dan, uh, make sure to join the Pride to hear that. And uh, yeah, so uh, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan Reed today, the host of Eating Liberty, um, a.k.a. The culinary libertarian, really interesting guy. And hopefully, you're going to be going after this and skipping right over to the little bonus feed there um, for the Lions of Liberty Pride members and hearing our bonus segment. Interesting discussions there as well. You don't want to miss it. Of course, you know how to do that. I talked about it earlier at the top of the show. So uh, go ahead, get to Patreon, get to locals, and join the pride. Um, The only other thing I do want to say is. Time to get excited. In a few days, Brian and I will be heading up to Porkfest. I don't even know the last time I was up there in New Hampshire at Porkfest. It's been years pre-pandemic. So we're talking four, five, five years. That makes sense. I don't even understand how that's possible. But it's been a long time since we've been up to Pork's to Porkfest. Um Porks Fest. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh Getting out there, mixing it up with the uh, the Liberty Freedom crew, the uh, Lions of Liberty fans that I know there will be so many out there. I hope. Maybe there'll be none. Maybe I will know nobody there, which would be really, really strange. But we're doing a thing. We're sharing a tent with, uh, with Matt Kibbe, uh, Free the People. And uh, I'm going to do a live show. Brian's going to do a live show. We're going to do a live L- L-A-L-D-L. Brian has a really stupid idea for the live LALDL, but it'll be funny. I'm sure it'll be funny. So, um, and all that content that we record, of course, um, most of it, um, well, if you're in the pride, you'll have access to all of it. Um, some of it will be put in our, uh, our feeds here on the network feed. Maybe some of it in my finding freedom solo feed, but all of it As a Pride member, you will get access to everything that we record up there. Really looking forward also to hearing from RFK Jr. He's going to be speaking on Thursday morning. So really, fingers crossed. Hopefully, I can have a word with him, get a quick interview. But, you know, he's a busy man. He's running for president. So I'm not sure if it'll happen or not. So looking forward to that. And I will see you all either at Porkfest or I'll talk to you next week. Either way. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.